This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When it comes to hiring, don't go searching for the one. Just meet your match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Full Change with Tom Laidlaw. You know what? I, I, really, I was thinking about, okay, I would do different accents, but I think every accent would sound the same. Like it'd all be like Scottish, Irish, or. They all have kind of some kind of Scottish Canadian accent that you do. All right. So oh, you, yeah. you just, uh, just came from the, the wedding, the Ranger wedding of the century, right? Yes. Jackie. Oh, Jackie D. Piazza. That was now Miss uh, Jackie or Mrs. Jackie Farrell. Great wedding too. I'm not really, I haven't been to many weddings recently. My son got married to uh, five or six years ago. That was fun. Uh, she was my son. Uh, but her, they really made a point of making it a fun wedding. Like, there were speeches, they broke it up and everything. So she's a fantastic person. Her husband, uh, Matt, I, I've met him several times and talked to the phone and uh, great guy. I've always been like a new little business. Like he was wild. He was having a blast dancing around and uh, going crazy. It was good. good time. Well, you got to let go. You got to do well, Yeah, definitely. Yeah, one to remember. Yeah. For people who don't know, Jackie DiPiazza is the alumni manager for you guys. I guess you call her that. Yeah, she's got another rule. I can't remember what that title is, but yeah, she handles, handles all that. That's a tough job for her. a bunch of divas. Uh, as you'll learn with these alumni guys. So. So she's like the babysitter for all the rain alumni. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So people want, uh, like, they'll they do a lot of these things where the season ticket holders, the salespeople for season tickets, will will get a whole bunch of their clients to spend a lot of money. They'll do things like fly out to a playoff game in Raleigh or Pittsburgh or whatever. Um, do a lot of dinners in the city. So then they, they contact Jackie and say, listen, can you get us some players for this? So, uh, that's her job there. Set it all up. Because you had a, a bunch of weddings yourself, right? <laughs> they weren't any fun, though. I don't remember them being very much fun. The first one, I, I, I get here's, well, you know, I pattern. But the first one, she wanted like, this big bolt. Like, it was like a yacht, a huge yacht to get married on. Like, this. the one good thing is only limited to 50 people. But Wait, of course, there's, there's what? You got married on a yacht? Yeah. So, no, we actually got married at a church. Is it a church? I can't remember. The just piece where it was. I don't know. And then we went to the boat. Out of the bowl. But okay, so this is New York, right? Connecticut, New Jersey, all the shoreline around the oceans. Right? So there's like thousands of yachts that are already built and available to use, right? To rent out. Of course, she she would want to get a brand new one that wasn't going to be ready until right before the wedding. So of course, the night before the wedding, the boat shows up, not done yet. There's no carpets on. So they had to work through the night to get the carpets. <laughs> and I'm steaming that because I'm thinking, we just get another boat. When was the problem? Like, you know, obviously we couldn't do it then. But I mean, when we did book it, you know, much in advance. So clearly foreshadowing like a perfect metaphor for your relationship, right? Yep. That's a pretty good way to put it. Yep. Yeah, well, first or your second? Oh, uh, that was the first one. Thank you. That was my son's mother. 
So, second one was very nice. She was a she did not want a big wedding either. We went to the Justice Peace. I, I was actually good friends with the the mayor of White Plains, so he married us over White Plains. We went on a honeymoon down to um, uh, Forty Keys. That, that was that was actually a great time. I had a good wedding at them. They came back and had a big party at the uh, yacht club here in Greenwich. Yeah, you know, it's isn't it funny? Like I go along with these things. Like the first marriage too. Like I I bought this piece of land, nice piece of land up in Pauling, New York, Acre. We're looking at a beautiful lake. And we've got to build a log cabin, you know, rustic log cabin with the stone fireplace. Yeah. The ex-wife got a hold of it, turned into a 5,000-square-foot monstrosity with spiral staircase, and tiles on the floor, and all this. Oh, like, and I get, then I get divorced later on. I go, wow, my luck. So I didn't get the log cabin I want. Now I'm divorced. I should stay away from getting married. That's what I should do. Yeah, there you go. That's even better. Yeah. True. Go on the boat. Here's, yeah. Look at all the good times I've got. Man, I get talked into things sometimes. I'm so stubborn, right? But then other times I get talked into things, and they're like, that's the thing. That's why I'm stubborn. Yeah, but, but, but how are you getting talked into things if you're stubborn? Well, that's the good question, right? So let, we should probably do a show on that to analyze myself. Like, yeah, so I, I'm stubborn, won't listen to anybody. And then all of a sudden, I'm allowing this person to get us a yacht that's not even built yet for our wedding. So it's just. So maybe the, people are more stubborn than you. Or maybe I, I, that's a grip. Yeah, we do need to analyze that. Uh, it could be that maybe I realize I'm stubborn. So I think, okay, don't be stubborn this time. Just give it. You know, somebody wants something, just give it. Then it always turns out to be bad. So, what's the, the second one wasn't? So I, my wedding was like yours. It was just as a piece. Christine, and I, the the judge, and two little old ladies who worked in the uh, the office. And that was it. Nice, nice. No part. So we talked about this before. Weddings seem to be not for the people getting married, but for the guests. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. The show you put on, you got to perform. You can't have a great time. I know. And that's why Jackie Piazza is Sarah Farrell now. Hers was a good wedding. Guess that they they really made sure that. Uh, well, she was running around. There's a lot of people, so she was running around. She wasn't able to cover as much as she wanted to, but they, they had fun still. A lot of dancing. It was one of those weddings, too, where rarely was uh, there nobody on the dance floor. There's always people up there dancing. Good crew. Al- I think alcohol had a lot to do with that, too, but oh, that's all right. Uh, well, I, I, I went to a wedding once for my friend in San Diego on a naval base, my friend Boris Fobian. It was a morning wedding on a Sunday. We get there on the, on the naval base, and it's a dry wedding. I don't drink. But I was wishing that they had alcohol or the beer because it was just you know, love your bow. But that wedding was that was a tough one, right? Oh, there was no there was no problem with Jackie's wedding. There's one table beside us. We sat together with uh, Michael Ali, who used to work for the Rangers. Now he used to do Jackie's job. He now works for the Islanders. Uh, Adam Graves, his wife, were there. Uh, Stephen Matteo and his new wife, Stu. They just recently got married, and uh, Nick Fatio and his wife. And there were a couple other people. Actually, I, we were doing, doing a podcast with the woman I met there, she, Christina, is her name. And the, beside us at this other table, there's some younger people, and they were cutting it loose. They, they were funny. You know what? It was funny because now they'd had a few cocktails, and the speeches were, they spread the speech. So, so they were very quiet and everything during the early speeches. But by the time they got to the latter speeches, man, they were, they were, they were, they were having a blast. It was that. Wasn't there. So you, you were at the Ranger table? The what? We were at the Ranger table. Yes, we were. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. People coming up to you guys. Back. You know what? Jackie was really worried about that too. They no, they they did. They came up, but they were really nice to play. And you know how the guys are too. Especially that group of guys are all very personal and uh, yeah, love talking to people. So, but they were they're funny. I, a typical thing that happens to me now. I walked in early, and I, a couple of guys are sitting there at a bench, and I, I went walked up and said, "Hey, I'm Tom Leva." They go, "Oh no, I, we would know who you are." And I thought, oh, they know me from being a ranger. They can care less about the ranger part. They watch Survivor. They're all very laughing. Yeah, they don't. It happens to me a lot now where people they'll, they'll talk about hockey a little bit, but it's mainly talk. Uh, so I, all right, well, you're in a group like that. Who's the, who's the most popular guy? Is it Graves or uh, yeah, Graves is yeah. 
It's just, uh, he's, uh, you know, I think the reputation that he's built, winning the Stanley Cup in 94. Stephen Matos up there pretty good. He's got a great personality. And Nick, yeah, I just be careful. That. I think Greaves is, uh, but that whole group of people uh, was a lot of fun, like very personal. Like the wives were the same way. And you went solo? You went stag? Yeah, I went stag, yeah. Yeah. I was you? Like, no. I know. I'm thinking, oh, I guess I'm just going to for so long now. Like you go to an event like that, you have to entertain somebody, especially if you don't know them that well, right? You got to entertain and make sure they're okay. Instead, you're on your own. And you get double food, right? That's true. Yes. Uh, although I was good. I mean, we had no chance of great uh, cod there, stuffed cod. Oh, gosh. Nice. You had a couple of beers. Sounds like an awesome time. Yes, it was. It's all good. Good that you get to hang out with your Ranger alumni. Today, we're going to have, um, we have a great guest people have been asking for for a long time on the show. But uh, people will hear, it kind of gets cut off. But we have the captain. We have Barry Beck today. Bubba's a great guy. Great personality. Yeah, you're right. That's too bad. He's in Hong Kong, obviously. And that's, uh, we had our problems with the technical difficulties. But it's so good to see him doing better. Um, you know, he's got through a lot of stuff, right? Obviously, with Mark Pavlich, his son. He talks about those things and his feelings about that. So he was, like I said, last time we saw him was at the golf tournament here, uh, I guess a year ago, uh, a little over a year ago. Uh, and he was not doing too well on it. He was very public about talking about his uh, struggles. And, yep. uh, and he, he, like I said, do it much better now. So, yeah. And it, this is, we'll definitely call this part one because he's going to come back on. We just got to work out the, you know, there's some technical stuff that he's so far away, but we'll get it back on. People can hear where he's at. I'll tell you, it was great to do the show because, uh, uh, it just brings back so many memories. He, he was a great guy, a great team player, a lot of pressure on him, right? Probably like five guys were traded for him. Uh, so he was, uh, far guy to play with. Yeah, and the fact, and like you, he's kind of even though he had all this responsibility, he was a huge goofball. Here's a question: Do you guys work on on fighting? Like, do you practice that in practice at all, or at least old? No. They, they do now. They watch films now. They study them. We really didn't. Uh, guys, uh, it was more having a book on uh, the other guys on the team that were fighters, that were their left hand punchers or right hand punchers. Were they how tough were they? Were they like guys like Mario McSorley? We just never quit. You know, Gary Langdon that we've had on the show, he was client of mine. His reputation was he was like a second half fighter, so he let the other guy hit him a little bit. But so, so you'd, you'd know that kind of stuff. But really, as far as technique, you know, like it probably is a pretty good idea. Uh, there was one guy that played in the league, this Jay Caulfield. He actually played with us. So they played Pittsburgh, local career. But yeah, he didn't play much hockey. He was a football player. Big, nicest guy too. Tremendous person. Uh, tough as nails, but he couldn't stand out. He'd fall down every fight. So he'd lose all the time. Just and everybody knew that. It's like, oh, take him up. I'd stand up, stand up. He's going to beat. Well, one of, one of our, you know, going back to Barry Beck. So Herb Brooks made in the captain. Yep. Uh, yes, that's correct. Yep. One of our listeners, Andrew Lane, New York, wanted to know if people in the NHL were tired of Brooks's act. If they, you know, they just thought this guy was kind of like a, a, a clown show because he won the Olympics and that's why he was there. And, you know, this stuff he did in college. How do you think? I know you like. Yeah, I loved him. He was fantastic for me. I, I don't, uh, you know, it's interesting. I watched an old game. Uh, from 84 when we lost to Kenny Moore. I was watching it on YouTube the other day. And uh, it reminded me how Clark Gillies had said, excuse me, uh, had said that he thought if we'd won that series, we could have won the Stanley Cup that year uh, where that could coach. And that was her putting that team together. Uh, excuse me, I apologize. Um, but her, I didn't view him that way. Was her different? Uh, yes. Probably ahead of his time, really, at the way he coached at New Players. You know, had, her, the thing with her was he knew exactly what he wanted, right? So he came in after we'd gone to the semifinals, my first year at the semifinals, 80-81, with a tough team, uh, be LA, St. Louis, and then ultimately losing to the Islanders in the semifinals. And then Herb comes in to coach next year. And typically, again, you don't get rid of a, a bunch of guys when you've gone to the semifinals, but Herb came in with a whole new 
uh, attitude, way to play the game. Mark Pavlage, Rob McClanahan, all those kind of players. And weaving. Yep, Riley Weaving. And we were called the Smurfs by Bob McCann, coach in uh, Philadelphia. And, but it, I tell you, I watched that game. That we were, we were, that's probably the best team I played on uh, with the Rangers at 84. Even though we lost in the first round, we just were, man, it's just skate, good defensively. It, it, Herb, Herb could run pe- people the wrong way, but that, that was Herb. But, uh, all right. Uh, that team beat, you beat the Flyers, what, three times, times in the playoffs? At least, yeah, probably two. Yeah. But yeah, the, it was, I guess the question is the other teams, were they like, this guy's full of shit with his college stuff. It's not going to work on out. Or did they, people buy into? Yeah, I, I think because we had success, I think people think, okay, this this guy is different, but he's successful. Uh, and I think the players, like, we talked about this before. I don't think I realized at the time, but one of the big things that Herb did, like with me, for example, was he very definely uh, defined my role very clearly for me. So I understood what my role was. Yeah. And they'd all get rid of the puck when you get it. Yeah. But then he, the, the payoff at the end of the, t- uh, for me was that he would then play me in all those key defensive situations. And I went back and watched all the games he did. Well, he, yeah, there's other guys, you know, James Patrick came in. Like, I, I, Barry Beck obviously could do everything. Fight, score, hit, power play. Kind of like, James Patrick was kind of like 1A or maybe number two in that same role. He could do all of those same things. But her, uh, it wasn't like he didn't play James in those situations. But when it was a pure defensive situation, he made sure he got me on the ice. And again, I, I didn't understand it. I watched the games now. I realized, okay, I, I see the psychology there now, why he's... So he say, he, he understood without even saying to... Uh, that, okay, you do what I tell you to do, then I'm going to play all the time. He, that's what he just did. And I just became accustomed to that. That's what it worked. So he was good. The mental part of the game, just like understanding personalities and egos, you know, guys' desires to be important parts of the team. So that's where Herb was really good at. And he was great with our next guest, Barry Beck. Hopefully people enjoy the show. Big Bubba. Good morning, Tom. We have a huge show today. This one has been highly requested by many of our listeners. They've been asking us, when's he coming on? When's he coming on? Well, today we have the former captain and your teammate. We have Bubba Barry Beck. Big, bad, bodybuilding Barry Bubba Beck. Bubba, what's happening, brother? How are you? Well, you're you're paying me so much, so I had to come on. <laughs> uh, you played for the love of the game. You never played for money. Never. How, how are things? You sounded good. You sounded a lot better. We saw you back here at uh, Westchester Country Club with the golf tournament. You weren't feeling too well. It looks like you've uh, gotten a lot better now. Well, yeah, that was the last time I saw you was at the golf tournament, and I wasn't feeling good at all. I was I was going through my withdrawals at that point. I was feeling rough, and you know, I sort of made it back to the city. It's quite a long story. I'll try and make it short, but Glenn Sailor helped me out, and the Rangers helped me out. NHL alumni helped me out, got me into rehab for my my addiction to sleeping pills is actually Zopaclone here in Hong Kong. Zopaclone is banned in the USA because it is so addictive. And, uh, I, yeah, so I spent 30 days at the Poconos, uh, close to where Kotsi lives. That's so he tells me. And, uh, <laughs> did you, yeah, I'll bother you. Did he, did he come and live with you? Yeah, he, he didn't come by and see me, no. Oh. Um, but it's like a geniality. The best thing that could, it was the best thing that could have happened to me at that point. Yeah, I did hear uh, rumors about the Rangers getting involved. Actually, I think you uh, put that on Facebook as well, too. So, yeah, that's good to see, right? Because uh, yeah. sometimes I think people get away from the game and they don't re- realize all the good people that are still in the game helping other shit. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. 
Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Uh, but Barry, where were, you, where were you raised? Where were you born? Raised in Vancouver. That's right, you're Vancouver. Okay. Born Do you ever get back there now? Born Do you have a family back there? Um, well, my, my mother lives about four hours outside of Vancouver, and my brother lives 30 minutes. That's outside of there, but um, last time I was there was after the murder of my son. I uh, had a, a service in in, uh, in the Hamilton area in Binbrook, in the Noise, where my mother lives, and uh, yeah, so I got a chance to see 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 family and friends at that point, and uh, but I I love living in Hong Kong. Well, you've touched on your son there, and uh, obviously we open for the show so okay we talk about that um so how old was your son when he lost his life 20 years old and was he living with his mother uh in Ham- the hamilton area living in binbrook binbrook's i guess about 25 minutes from hamilton and he had just finished his first two years of university studying mental health and recovery oh. and uh was back home for the summer and it all stemmed from uh, the incident stemmed from a road rage, road rage incident he was followed back to a house party by four young men in a car and uh, was stabbed when he got out of the car. And he really bled out almost immediately. Uh, artery was severed in the stomach area. And, uh, you know, this was during COVID. So I flew back uh, from Hong Kong, um, but I didn't get a chance to go to the funeral. Oh. Uh, because of COVID, I couldn't attend. And... So, yeah, that was, that was a rough time. That was a big loss for me. Yeah. I didn't realize about not being able to attend the funeral too. That makes it even worse, right? Um, how did you find out there? Um, my brother called me. My brother called me. It was afternoon in Hong Kong. You know, there's a 12 to 13 hours, uh, time difference to the East coast, depending on, uh, what time of year it is. It's 12 hours now. And, um, yeah, I'm one of I got that call. As I said, it was a rough one. I, uh, you know, I hit the floor. You know, it was it was tough with my son. Uh, uh, you know, living in China and working in Hong Kong, I I love it here, and it was a great opportunity for me to be the first ex NHL player to come over and and work the program in China. Hong Kong being part of China, but it's in a special administrative region, so. So the laws are different, and there's much more democracy than there is in mainland China. 
but I was away from my son. I would see him twice a year. And we did have plans for him to come over uh, here after his last year of high school, but, but he opted to to go to university in Nova Scotia. And, uh, and so we thought that, you know, he had finally sort of found his calling. And uh, he always told me that he thought he was going to be the next Dr. Phil. Huh. Very cool. Very cool. And Brock is his name, right? Brock? Yes. So it'd be coming up here pretty soon. July July twenty sixth was the day he was murdered, and um, yeah, that sort of that sort of fueled my addiction to to sleeping pills. Sure, that's understandable, Barry. You know, and if I can talk about that a little bit, Tommy. Yep, go ahead. You know, because of the fact that I hope it'll help. I hope that'll help somebody, uh, because over here, especially foreign men. They put in long hours of work and they got to get up early. They can't get any sleep. They start taking sulfoclone uh, to be able to function. But for me, you know, when my son was killed, I didn't sleep for eight days. Oh, wow. And uh, so I used the poopy pills and that it just continued. And the more you use, the more you need. And that's the way that I got for me the past six months before I saw you. So I went to rehab September 28th, 2022. Uh, I was using 70 pills every 24 hours. Wow. And that is 10 milligrams of pill. And uh, I still wasn't getting a lot of sleep. My my body was uh, becoming so accustomed to it that I just needed the pills just to function. So, you know, when I went to rehab, I, I would tell the guys I was sitting with at the table, I, I'm not supposed to be there. I'm gonna, I should be at a sleeping disorder place. Uh, you know, I'm sitting beside a heroin addicts and meth heads and everything else, alcoholics. Um, but the the withdrawals that I went through were so painful that, yeah, I knew that I needed to be there. I tried to stop on, I bet you, either nine different occasions, and I would go a week without sleeping. And I couldn't do it anymore. I needed to get some sleep to work. And, uh, and that's the way that it continued to be. So I needed to be in a medical setting. And so the Rangers gave me that opportunity, you know, and thank God I ran out of pills when I was in New York, or I would have been back on the flight to Hong Kong. That probably would have been going through the same thing. Yeah. Wow. No, I just will say about Zopaclone, how it affects your nervous system, and it will completely change your body. And, uh, you know, like I said, I was doing 70 pills within a 24-hour span well, for, for six months. So you can imagine what that can do to your nervous system. Barry, did they give you any kind of medication? Well, after I, after my son was murdered, I mean, I just want to kill, want to kill everybody who was. Yeah. I mean, I found out, you know, the four men that were arrested. I found once we, you know, it took four months for the arrest, but once it happened, I mean, I found out where their families lived. I found out as much as I could about them because I was going to kill them all. So. That that fueled my addiction. I can't imagine Barry was going through yeah. It was months after that 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 Mark Pavlich. Were you pretty close with Pav uh, when we were playing together? Now I I don't think really anybody was too close yeah. with Pav. Yeah, good point. Uh, yeah, you know when we were playing, but yeah, I would say say we we connected on a certain level. I know that he loved music and I love music. He liked to yeah. play guitar. I play bass guitar. 
And uh, so, yeah, but you know, you know the way that he was. He was a, yeah. a tough guy for people to understand. Yeah, totally. Great. A fantastic guy too. He just, yeah, he was a different dude. He was going to do his thing and that was it. Yeah. Well, that's that w- sort of happened. I mean, you know, I knew when he needed help and I think he knew when I needed help. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't want to get into, t- you know, I, I had a lot of resentment. I had a lot of resentment towards the Rangers. Oh, yeah. 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 And, you know, I went went through that with, with JD and, uh, you know, with what happened with, with Mark. And then nobody called me on my son. Now, I think both you and I know that once you leave the team, that they don't owe you anything. I mean, I, I love the team. And I know you do too. You do a lot of work for them. And a lot of players do. And, um, yeah, there was a lot of, I had a lot of resentment. That's one of the things with being in rehab. I had a lot of resentment of Ontario, Canada, for the person who murdered my son. I mean, got only three and a half years. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, well. And, you know, where that really started. So go ahead, Barry. I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to say that I, that I write about my book. You know, what really, what really helped me was, was writing. I mean, as you get older, you can't your body. Well, I'm not like you. You're, you're a little bit younger than me. I mean. <laughs> and uh, so I like to try and use my mind a little bit more now. I like to write. What's it, have you got a book out, Barry? It's called The Cell. So, Bumbo, you were talking to us about the resentment you had. Uh, and one of the resentment uh, places that, excuse me, one of the places you resented was the province of Ontario where your uh, son was murdered. Talk to us about that resentment. Well, it was all over the court case. You know, I was in Hong Kong at the time. I mean, I had gone out there, uh, but it was taking time to find the individuals that were responsible. So I came back to Hong Kong, and uh, once they were arrested, the four young men that were arrested, then I had to sit through the court proceedings, the bail hearings uh, by Zoom, and I knew that the way that the bail hearings were going, that the court was so liberal that... uh, you know, we were in jeopardy of even getting one person to be responsible. And, uh, yeah, I had a, I harbored a lot of resentment towards the courts and I, I made it known in a letter that I wrote to him. And that was, it was difficult for our families. And then Barry, you, you touched on the resentment towards the New York Rangers and other teams, just the NHL in general. Uh, talk about that a little bit as well. Well, I think that started with, you know, with Mark and, what happened with Pav and that really nobody was in his corner at that time. It, it took some time for, for people to come and help him. You know, and he, I mean, he was on the 1980 gold medal team. You think USA hockey would have been, I mean, knocking the door down to try and get there to help, but they didn't. And I thought the Rangers should have stepped in the, the LHL alumni and they eventually did. And they uh, were able to help Mark and that and the help of Clinton Larchuk and, and Gene Pavlich, his sister, and Tom Gorns, uh, former players, the uh, former player with the Flyers, and they, they did a lot of work, and, and we managed to put a team together, you know, the Ranch Teammates for Life team, to really try to help Mark. And, uh, you know, we were finally able to get him in a better place under the psychiatric facility and into the uh, Eagle's Nest, and uh, which caters more to veterans, but there was a lot of good people there. And, and so he, we thought he was in a good place, and... You know, when we talk about suicide, it's just so confusing. I mean, uh, you know, you just you just never know. Yeah. And we thought, you know, I 
I Zoomed with Mark two days before his suicide. And, uh, you know, through my conversations with him, um, you know, he had told me that he, he always had a plan. And I, I knew he was fragile. And, you know, when I used to call that psychiatric facility, it was I thought it was me who needed more help after the phone calls because it's a communal phone when you phone there. So you can get anybody. I would get some girl on there and she'd be yelling down the hallway for Mark. Hey, Pab. Hey, Pab, you got another call? <laughs> so I was going a little, I was going a little crazy myself. Wow. But the resentment really started with the courts in Ontario. And then after that, it just seems like anything seemed to fuel, fuel my resentment. You know, and, uh, and when something like this happens, you know, a very traumatic incident, you know, for me, it was my only child. Uh, to be, to be in such such a senseless, violent murder. I mean, you know, it just tore me apart. Wow. Like I couldn't be there to help him. And uh, you know, I have to live with that, and I and I do. It's not easy. It's a struggle every day. You know, I think about my son before I before I go to bed, and I think about my son when I wake up in the morning. There's a lot of people that go through a lot of trial. And you just have to find a way to cope. Yeah. Well, I'm learning a lot more about mental health as well. And I just, the, the ability for particularly men, unlimited to men, uh, to talk about it, right? Uh, like you and I, the big tough guys, you're not supposed to talk about our feelings or whatever. And I think um, it's still like, I'm uh, Tom Smith over here, my producer, um, has taught me a lot about that. Uh, you know, we'd sit here and talk about the, some of my relationships in the past. And I'd be always blaming everybody else. And Tom finally said to me one day, uh, well, what's the common denominator there? It's probably you. So it's really forced me to look at myself as well. And that's a, that's a hard thing to do I think for anybody, but for a man, but it's something you have to do, right? I mean, I'm sure you, uh, you've done that yourself. So well, uh, what are the things that we need, the resentment you talked about with the National Hockey League and particularly the Rangers? Uh, so again, you, like you talked earlier, I've been fortunate because I've, you know, as an agent, I was in about 22 years, I was really still involved in the game. I uh, was always in contact with the NHL. Yeah, when I talk when I talk about the resentment towards the Rangers, you know, I was away I was away from the team for a long time. Yeah, you know, in my book I talk about, you know, when I had to retire in '87 with all those shoulder problems, and you know, I wanted nothing more to win a Stanley Cup with the Rangers. I was traded for five players, and that was to me the only way that my career was going to be validated was. To for our team to let us down the cup. And when that didn't happen, you know, I, I eventually took the time off, rehabbed my shoulder, tried to come back and play in LA. I wasn't the same player, uh, as you know, uh, but I gave it a shot and, uh, and that was, that was a difficult time for me. You know, when I, when I played junior hockey, we won the Memorial cup. I was the most valuable player. So the next thing after that, is to win a Stanley Cup and maybe be MVP. I don't know. That wasn't as important to me ever or playing for Team Canada as trying to make the Rangers win. We came close a couple of times, right? there. Our first year, we went to the semifinals. Islanders beat us out. Um, we recently, uh, before we lost Clark Gillies, uh, we had him on a show, and uh, he was fantastic. What a great guy. I know you know him. But he was talking that when we lost to them in 84 when Kenny Morrow scored uh, that uh, overtime goal. He thought that if we'd won that series, we could have won the Stanley Cup that year. So that was pretty interesting to hear that from him. 
that was all your fault too, because you're yeah. in the shoulder. Yeah. You know, and there was another, I don't know if it was a year before that when they had Pittsburgh in the short series. Yeah. And yeah. they had to go into overtime, Pittsburgh at home. I thought we had a good chance there too. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. You know, Barry, you touched on the resentment with the NHL. Um, just for me, I think, uh, kind of clarify it for people out there. So when you leave the game, uh, again, I was fortunate. I, you know, continued on the agent business. So I was really still involved in the game. Uh, lived here locally, did a lot of Ranger stuff. And a lot of guys, as in Barry's case, um, you know, moved away and Barry moved a long way away. Uh, you kind of get removed from the game. You don't really hear all the stories that go on behind the scenes about management helping players. Um, so for Barry, it was difficult because he, did, he didn't see that. He didn't see the stuff that the, uh, I was doing. And I, and I believe, too, didn't the uh, alumni have to wait for Mark to ask for help before they could help him? Was that how it worked? Well, I mean, this is... This is debatable. I mean, right. shouldn't somebody, I mean, right away, case of Mark, it was me. And so I, I sort of took on that role. And uh, so, and, and that's okay. You know, Mark was a good friend and a teammate. And I, I'd do it for anybody, really. I mean, I, I would do it for a player that I didn't play. Yeah. And that's the brotherhood of the NHL. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, when a guy is sick, when a guy is hurt, somebody's got to be there. And if you're going to really abide by the rules and say, well, you have to have to wait for Mark to call them, I mean, they could have been waiting on a long time. So you know how Mark was. Oh, yeah. And, uh, no question. So, you know, I'm, and it's that was unfortunate. And I, I came out, you know, that I came out publicly. I wasn't happy about it. Finally, some things got done. So now I don't attribute it to me to speak it out publicly. But it didn't. But it didn't hurt. Well, yeah, may, it, you made sure that people were hearing what was going on with him, right? There's a lot of guys that are struggling. Um, you know, stories of guys living under bridges and and L.A. and uh, the Joe Murphy stuff, and and the, uh, Joe Murphy became very public. There's a lot of guys out there that uh, you know we lost Walt Pudubny, uh to alcohol problem, and uh, nobody ever heard about that. That was totally behind the scenes, and he was an old teammate of ours too. And I don't think any of us knew that was going on with him. Um, so it's, yeah, there's some, st- I, we've done about 50 podcasts here now. We've had, uh, what, five guys that, uh, yeah, at least five guys that had mental health issues where they wanted to take their own lives. Yeah. I, I think from what we've heard from Glenn Healy and some others and Clint Malarczyk, it's getting better, but it, there's still a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. It is getting better. You do get more people that are talking about their feelings now. I, I know it sounds kind of funny for, we'd be laughing about that, but if you were in an NHL locker room. And then now you see these guys talking about their feelings. It's just the two things just don't go together. Right? It's just guys, would, we would never talk about our feelings. Right, Bubba? In the locker room? If I came up to you and said, Barry, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit depressed today. Can you give me a hug? I think it's just, it's just not going to happen in the NHL. Maybe then, but now it's definitely, it's changing because we're human beings. We all have struggles. Yes. Them. Well, for me, I, I mean, I, 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 I've been in a depressive state before, but I don't stay there long. I mean, I mean, I love living too much. I love to have fun. I love to laugh. And that is really the key is to don't isolate yourself and, and to keep keep connected with your friends. Anybody that doesn't know Barry back very well, he's one of the funniest men I ever played with, really. Bubba would come in the locker room sometimes. <laughs> We'd die, die laughing. When you were on fire, Barry, and uh, going back and forth, you're a funny man. We love fun. Funny story with Herb Brooks. There you go. Let's hear this. You know, it, it, when we were playing for Herb, and you know, Herb and I used to play me and you, you together, killing bullets. 
I asked her one time, Tommy and I five on five. Oh, every time he passes me the puck, he breaks your stick. So, <laughs> so I like playing with you because I thought that, okay, I'm playing with Tommy. I get a chance to rush the puck now because he's going to stay back. And then I would watch you and all of a sudden I'd take <laughs> off up ice and I go, what the hell do you do? So would the fan. What should be doing? Oh, that's funny. Mary, I'll never forget one time. Bubba and I were having fun all the time. We, we were in a warm up one time at Madison Square Garden. We're skating around and Bubba comes flying over to me. He's going to hit me. You know, he's nice. And Bubba's coming. So I'm bracing myself. You know, I got to, you know, Bubba landed on his ass. He, wasn't, he just wasn't expecting me to, to hit back. And we were dying laughing. <laughs> we were running into each other. I'll never forget, we, one game uh, we played, I'll never forget this game. I don't know why I remember. We played a game in Washington. And we got losing the game. So you and I decided we were going to hit everybody we could hit. And uh, Frank Brown wrote the next day in the paper. I said, back in late level, playing like linebackers. And I was like, oh, man, that's cool. That was cool. Bubba, how many games did you get in the National Hockey League? How many did I play? Yes. Around 650. I don't know the exact yeah. number. I think I probably could have made it to 94. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But Phil would have traded you. <laughs> Shoot the puck, Barry. People still say that to this day. Shoot the puck, Barry. Well, what are you going to do? <laughs> I guess I should consider it an honor to be mentioned with Bill Chadwick. You know the story of Bill losing his eye as a referee and and, uh, you know, being a one-eyed referee, I, I used to kid him about that because I used to tell him I thought he was totally blind. <laughs> <laughs> so Ron, uh, Ron Dugay and I had lunch with him one day. I think it was in Quebec. And he told me, you got to stop passing so much. He said, maybe shoot the puck more. And I go, yeah, thanks, Bill. Maybe I'll try that tonight. Always during the game, I happened to score. And then every time after that, he, you know, he coined the phrase, shoot the puck, Barry. And uh, it's funny when I, I'm in a couple of Ranger groups and, and I follow the Ranger team and they're always saying, why isn't anybody shooting the puck? Shoot the puck. You know, they're, they're saying they pass too much. Yeah. Fans so, still say that today at game. I, I well, yeah. at least they remember me. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. So Barry, they, you mentioned before you got traded for five guys. So they got to the Stanley Cup Finals '79. Next year they trade five guys away to get you. Uh, did you sense a lot of pressure to perform after that happened? Yeah, well, I I didn't feel the pressure right away. You know, when I I got traded when I was in Colorado and the Rangers were in Colorado. I mean, at first I told them I wasn't going to report. I had been there the day before and they told me I wasn't going to be traded. So when the trade happened, the trade year to the next and then play try and play the game i think it was two nights later so yeah that wasn't a, that wasn't a lot of fun that game uh but then we went on to vancouver i think we lost that game seven two and we went to Vancouver. we won and then we came back to new york and we played it probably the highlight reel of my my career the that first game I've still been looking up for it somewhere. I still can't find it. All right, Bubba. Um, so being the captain of the New York Rangers, again, that, that uh, pressure didn't start right away, but then you started feeling more and more as you played for the Rangers, correct? Yeah, I think after that first year when I was there and we lost to the, I think we lost in five games to the Flyers. I mean, of course, a lot of that responsibility fell on my shoulders. And you know what it's like to be captain. You've been captain before. There, There's always pressure to lead the team. And of course I felt bad about that. And, uh, you know, there was only one, going to be one way to turn that around for me. And that, 
you know, I, I knew that I was spending a lot of time out of the night and uh, going to clubs and enjoying my time in New York City. And I thought, well, I better, I better try and put or get this under control and start going to every practice, going to every optional practice. Because when I used to hear the words optional practice, I, I was like a cheerleader. I was like jumping up and down. <laughs> so, and so were the other guys who lived in the city. Yeah. Um, but you're only going to get out of the game what you put into it. And so I just, and I started to do that and I, and I became a better player. You know, when I first went to New York, I was, I was young. And, uh, although I was mature for my age, I mean, I didn't play in front of a lot of people in Colorado. So I, and I was playing power play, killing penalties. I, I was playing 35 minutes a game. So, yeah, I mean, I felt bad that first year. I, I know that when the team goes to the to the finals the year before, that means they should return once again. So I felt a lot of responsibility for that. Sure. Uh, so then Herb Brooks comes along, and uh, you guys had a few uh, confrontations. Was it one time when he you were hurt or something like that, and he called you a coward publicly? Well, you, you know, I mean, what kind of coach calls the captain a coward? I mean, you know, I, I mean, I, I loved her, but I knew that he would say some things yeah. that, uh, maybe he just said, you know, he was, he was consumed 24 hours a day with hockey yeah. and, and you know that. Yeah. And I mean, I thought he was a great coach. I mean, he really made the game fun for me, uh, because everybody could get in on the offensive game and it was more puck control and, uh, you know. I mean, it shows you how good the Islanders were because I thought we had a good team. Oh, yeah. And for us not to be able to get by them, what a good good coach Al Arbor was also. No question. And, uh, you know, after that incident, I went, you know, I threw that garbage can at them. Okay. And, uh, don't, don't go as quiet. You're going to talk about that some more. That was classic. <laughs> so, yeah. so Herb calls you a coward publicly. Barry Shirt comes to practice. We're on the ice. Barry grabs a garbage can full of sticks. Go ahead. Tell us, tell us what happened after that, Bubba. Well, I was I was fuming when I got to practice. Yes, you were. I had thirty minutes to think about it when I when I was driving up city up to ride. I mean, I I was gonna grab him, and I was gonna shake him a little bit. So, but they were already you guys were already on the ice, and so there was a garbage can there. So I I just when he skated around. I just picked it up and I hurled it at him and that sort of starting from there. Oh God, we're on the ice and Bubba's losing his mind. Oh, Tom, I think we just, I think we lost Barry there. Um, okay. Well, it was a good episode. We're getting good stories, but I think he, uh, we're having a lot, there's some technical challenges him being in Hong Kong. Yeah, definitely. Yes. yes. But yeah, Barry's doing a lot better. You know, he's been very open about his, uh, addiction issues uh he, i saw him recently at the golf tournament with the rangers uh and he was not good at all uh, yeah. but uh to the the rangers the alumni the nhl in general really came step forward to help him yep uh and it was really good to see he's buried some through some tough times yeah was absolutely yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone heard that in this episode yeah he, uh, he's, he's been through some real serious tragedies but i think he's on a good path um what is I look back at barry too the pressure that had to be on him so the the rangers got into the finals in 79 
uh, did not win. Uh, then next year, they traded away five players to get Barry back. Five, they right. gutted. That's a quarter of the team. Right. Just gone. And you think about that, too, because that pressure on you. That he was counted on to do everything, and he could do everything. Yeah. He could fight, score, kill penalties, hit. I remember uh, Washington play. He was a funny guy. He had a great sense of humor, too. And Larry Robinson was the same way, too. I was just for just like little kids. And I think they, they really loved and had passion. Well, yeah, that's it. You've got to keep it fresh. you got to keep it young and exciting and you know positive. He, he also said he thinks if not for his shoulder injury, he wouldn't have been playing in 94. He thinks he might have been part of the cup probably if he didn't have his injury. So that's that's him because he was a great player. He could do everything. I remember watching him play. Like, my rule was supposed to be so, like, he was the guy. He was the captain. Right. I was assistant captain. He was the lead. He was number one defenseman. I was kind of like two or three or four where we want to look at it. So I, I really had to kind of defer. Like, the, you got to you have to understand your role as uh, that secondary guy and let that guy because when Barry get hurt sometimes, I'd be captain, I'd get more. And people would say, well, why are you playing like that when Barry's not liable? And because this is the way the team is supposed yeah. to be structured. Barry Beck's the leader. My job is to help him in that leadership role and it'd be that secondary player. So I play. Well, he, you were you were second pair. He played with Rutilainen mostly, yeah. and then you played with a bunch of different people. Yeah, James Patrick, Larry Melnick. Uh, yeah, those, those guys in particular. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, and you know what I liked with that team? We all understood our roles as far as, yeah, you always wanted it to be better. Right. You should always strive to be better. But that, love the fact that uh like i've watched some old games recently and we get this downtime during the summer and i see there's situations where barry and railroads were going on the ice more yeah and i had people that watch aren't you mad like you were a good defenseman too i said well no this is the way it should be. sure I, I want to win i want our team to win those two are the big guys that need to play in that role i'll get my role yep and then we thought about this before that was her brooks and so good at that too but you guys also had a great year at 86 defensively back in van Beesler won the best yeah you guys uh, had the lowest goals against the league i believe right that's good that speaks to the defense too you know and we thought about this too that 86 run was fantastic the one in 81 was a fantastic run but that 84 team although we lost in the play yeah, yeah. no our, our, everyone listening to this program knows how much that bothers you, how much that hurt me as a fan. Like that, that wouldn't stop here. Yeah, for some reason, more we didn't even get a chance to get on a run, and then the games like that game five against you know Barry couldn't play in because the Schlatterly finally took yeah, that hit right, yeah, clean hit too, yeah, clean hit, no problem at all. Uh, it really showed. I mean, listen, we still played great, uh, but you kind of wonder like what if Barry was playing too? Yeah, oh my God, that put us over the top because again, we've had uh, Clark Gillies on the show before before he passed away, and we got to be pretty good friends with him, and he said. And I was really surprised. We didn't ask him the question necessarily, but he said that they he offered it. Yeah, they they thought that if uh, a lot of in some way it wasn't just him. It was like they sat around and talked about it. If we won that series, we probably could have won. Why well, anyone watching hockey knows that? I mean, you guys had a great team. You just had to go through this juggernaut, you know, oh. the last dynasty. Bear, I go back to Barry. Man, what a, I remember him as a fantastic team, funny guy. You know, he just uh, he loved joking around. If he would do some, I don't think he might, but he would do things like in the locker room. Ah, oh, God, I can't tell the story. But he's second. He's a big, like, bot. Yeah, yeah. Guy. So he'd get in front of the mirror, just a pair of shorts on, oil himself up, start lifting mirrors and waits for the mirror. Naked. So, naked. I, he can be in the naked, maybe. Oh, it's not, oh, but man, it was so funny because he was doing it just to be outrageous, you know, like most guys wouldn't. Was he one of the first guys who were like a gym rat? Was he one of the first lifting guys back then? Or uh, Well, he, I, I'd say probably the most. The other guys were lifting, but maybe more dedicated to it, especially during the season. That was all the other back. We, we work out during the summers, but sometimes you get wrapped up in, you know, having fun and playing and you're not sure. working out as much as you should be during the season. I uh, get that salt change. People also realize though, you're, you're dropping weight from October to April. Yeah. You're, you're really losing. Yeah. You have to make sure that you eat enough. Like you know, there's something, it's water weight. Sometimes like, you play a game in the garden during a playoff game where it's hot and humid, man, you can lose eight, 10 pounds of water weight. Yep. Uh, sure. Off. So it was, uh, 
like the way we replace you with beer, which was the smartest thing. Well, well, it was great for us to catch up with Barry and we'll have him back on again. There are definitely challenges because he's in Hong Kong. It's got a huge time difference, but we'll, we'll make it happen again. Hopefully fans got to, you know, got to hear from her here that he's doing great and we'll, we'll have him on again soon. Yeah. He's a fantastic person. So glad he's doing much better now. He's faced the demons and he's putting it all behind. So yeah, great show. All right, grasshoppers. Thank you for listening. We had a fantastic show. We'll see you next time.